Have you ever known that you needed to have a really difficult conversation with someone, but you dreaded it? And you knew you couldn't avoid it? Can, can you identify with me? Yes, okay. Well, perhaps you're familiar with the book that's entitled Crucial Conversations, Tools for Talking When the Stakes Are High. I know at least one other person in here has that book. I don't see her though, okay. Um, a crucial, crucial conversation is defined as a discussion between two or more people where number one, the stakes are high, number two, opinions vary, and number three, emotions run strong. Paul knew that he needed to have a crucial conversation with the churches in Galatia, so he took up his pen to respond to the messy situation there. And in your overview of Galatians last week, you could see how Paul's concern and his love for the believers there led to a tone of urgency and even edginess. So he chooses his opening words very carefully. He knows that this is a crucial conversation. So Galatians 1, 1 through 5 is Paul's introduction. It's the greeting, and it sets the stage for all that Paul will say in the letter. So I'd like for us to read it out loud together. Some of you might even be memorizing it, so just go ahead and avert your eyes from the text that's already up there, okay? So let's read it together. Let me just move it up a little bit if I can. Whoops. Okay. I think you can see the whole thing right now. There you go. Okay, let's read it together. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, my main point this morning, you have it on your sheet in front of you, is that Paul's grace-filled greeting introduces us to the gospel that is from God and for God's glory. And my aim is to understand the grace-filled gospel of Paul. And so I'd like to pray one more time and ask God to help us. Lord, I thank you for your marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace that is greater than all of our sin. So, God, we need you. Every hour we need you. You are our one defense. You are our righteousness. Oh, Lord, how we need you. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would open our eyes to see the wonders of gospel grace this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our plan this morning is I am breaking up the greeting Paul's greeting into three sections. Number one is greeting, number two, gospel, and number three, glory. Those are the three main blanks that you have on your page. Number one, Paul is saying in verses one and two, believe me, believe the messenger, the messenger who is not from man. And point number two is believe the message. The message is the gospel, God's grace to us. Well, most letters from Paul and other Greek and Roman letters have an opening greeting 
a main body and a closing, and often the greeting points to important themes that will be developed later in the letter. And so in our day, like if I'm writing a letter to my mom, I will say, dear mom, and then this body of the letter, and I'll write, love, Pam, right? Well, have you noticed that even in junk mail, we're addressed as dear Pam, and then you have to read to the bottom to find out who it's from, right? Okay, well, in Paul's day, letters, it was customary to begin letters with the from and the to, right up front. So Paul says, it's from me, Paul, I'm with the brothers, and it's to the churches in Galatia. So point number one, believe the messenger. You saw this week in your lesson that the apostle is, uh, apostle is a messenger. I'm going to try to make this a little bigger so you can see it. There we go. Okay, so we have Paul identifying himself, Paul an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me. This is, this is the from section. You saw this week what an apostle is. It's an ascent one, someone with authority from Jesus. And the question that was facing the audience in Galatia was, should we listen to Paul? Why should we trust Paul? Isn't this what people have asked all through the ages, right? Think about all the ads you hear, you know, on the radio or television or, you know, we see ads for, like, financial investors. How do you know if you trust a certain firm to handle, you know, your retirement money? Or um, what about the Wonder Cosmetics that are sold and promise to reverse aging, you know? How do you know if it's truth or whether it's a fraud, right? We're left with questions every day. But the stakes are much higher in Galatia, okay? The gospel was at stake, and they needed to know the messenger's credentials and to distinguish the true gospel message from distortion. Can you think of anything more serious than to have a messenger who claimed to be speaking for God but proclaiming a message that wasn't from God? Although Paul is not one of the original 12, Paul claimed equality with them as an apostle. He's an authentic, genuine apostle of Jesus Christ and God. And so therefore, he's qualified and ready to defend the true gospel of grace. So he begins with a defense of himself and the gospel. And a defense like this is not in Paul's other letters. So he gives three reasons why they should believe him. And the first message has to do with the fact that where is this gospel from? It is from God. So he says here, I'll change colors, not from men, nor through man, but through who? Jesus Christ and God the Father. And I'm going to change colors here because I like to do God the Father in a big yellow triangle because it reminds me of the Trinity, okay? So you don't have to mark it this way. I'm just showing you an example of how you can, you can see this better. So Paul is saying, first of all, that God made him an apostle. So this is reason number one, is that his apostleship is from God. God sent him, and that's the reason he has authority, and he can expect that they will listen to what he has to say. Okay? Paul is also a new creation by the power of the gospel itself, and later we're going to see Paul spell that gospel out. The second reason Paul says why they should believe him is because Jesus is alive. Now think, he says this here, right? He says, Jesus Christ, who and God raised him, that's Jesus, okay? Raised him from the dead, okay? This is reason number two that Paul says we should believe him. Without the resurrection, the gospel would be powerless. 
Though, by itself, the resurrection isn't the full gospel, is it? We have to know more than the resurrection. We still need the cross, and Paul gets to that in verse 4. Second, the resurrection is also mentioned to show us that Jesus is alive, and that as the living Lord, he could call Paul as his apostle. And finally, the resurrection shows us that Paul was qualified to be an apostle since he had literally seen the risen Lord Jesus. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he, the resurrected Jesus, appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Martin Luther commented on the reason why the Apostle Paul could so adamantly and boldly defend his apostolic authority. He said this, When I was a young man, I thought Paul was making too much of his call. I did not understand his purpose. I did not then realize the importance of the ministry. We exalt our calling not to gain glory among men, or money, or satisfaction, or favor, but because people need to be assured that the words we speak are the words of God. This is no sinful pride. It is holy pride. Those are words of Martin Luther. So from starting in Galatians 1.1 all the way through Galatians 2.21, Paul gives his defense of the gospel, basing that defense on his own God-given authority and not based on his own personal opinion. So reason number three that Paul says that they can believe him is because all the brothers are who are with me. So that's, that's number three, reason number three. Paul is not alone. He's not a lone ranger, but all the brothers are with him. They affirm the gospel. So this is like two sides of a coin here. Paul is saying, on the one hand, I didn't get my gospel from other disciples. I didn't learn it from Peter. I didn't learn it from, from James or John. But Peter, James, and John do agree with me. Okay, It's the true gospel that I'm preaching here. So we come to the two uh, section here next. I'm just going to slide this up a little bit. To the churches of Galatia. Last week, Jackie introduced us to the region and gave us a brief background from Paul's first missionary journey where he first preached the gospel and established churches in Galatia. And just a note that Bible scholars are divided um, as to whether this letter was intended for the broader, large country of Galatia that you see on the north part of your map, or whether it was to those churches where he first shared the gospel on his first, first missionary journey. And our teaching team uh, seems to, we, we agree with the evidence that seems to indicate that Paul intended this letter for those churches that are in those cities in the southern part of Galatia. It's not a huge deal, but the, the commentators that we are most closely following um, uh, agree with that. So there is a lot about these churches that we don't know, in addition to exactly who they were. Uh, for instance, how many churches were there? Who brought Paul's letter to them? We don't, he doesn't say like he says in some of his letters. How did they react to the letter? Was it circulated widely? And what happened as a result of this letter? 
Did they kick out those gospel distorters? Did they heed Paul's warning and his rebuke? Can't know for sure, but Luke records for us in Acts 16 that on Paul's second visit, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So what God said through Paul is true for us today too. It's for us today. One commentator said, Galatians is a tornado warning. Okay, sounding the siren, okay? Andy DeSelli, our North Campus elder, wrote this. He said, Galatians guards the gospel. Both Jews and Gentiles are justified by and continue to live by faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Okay, I'm going to slide this up. We're going to get to our main point here. The main idea, Paul says, is believe, believe the message, the grace-filled gospel. He says, grace to you and peace. His grace-filled greeting introduces us to the gospel. This is this main section here. We saw in our overview that last week that Paul has some very clear reasons for writing to the Galatians. But he begins with a blessing, kind of a prayer, although you saw when you compared Galatians to some of the other letters that Paul wrote, he doesn't use the term prayer, does he? Like he does in some of his other letters. What does Paul want for the Galatians? What does he want for them? What is he, in a sense, praying for them? Grace and peace, okay? He wants grace to you and peace. That is his big message here. And each word is loaded with significance. Paul uses a subtle wordplay here. The word grace is actually in the Greek is charis. And that's only a few letters different from the traditional Greek greeting in letters, okay? And peace, when he says peace, although he uses the Greek form, what do you think his Hebrew readers would have thought of when he said peace? Shalom, right. So he's reaching out to both groups within the church by saying grace to you and peace. This is a summary of Paul's message of Galatians, the gospel. It, and it, it also is a great model for prayer. Um, in the Old Testament, we have a blessing that was given to the people of Israel. We hear it very commonly here at church. And you, you probably could say it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord may make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. Okay, there's that word grace, right? And then the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his peace, right? So first we're going to look at this phrase, grace to you. And who is this grace from? Right, from God our Father, right? That's our from phrase here. And the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? From both. Now what do we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ here? I'm going to switch colors. Here's Jesus. I'm going to put it in bright red so you can see it. What's indented here, we learned what Jesus has done for us. This is the heart of the gospel, God's free gift of grace to us. That Jesus, what he gave himself for our sins. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. For those of you that studied John with us last year, do you remember in John 10, Jesus said, I laid down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Then, don't miss this other little word here. 
What is this word? I'm going to mark it in blue. For. It's a very small word here, but don't miss this amazing purpose statement. Jesus died for our sins. He died in our place, paying the price that we could never pay. And theologians call this substitutionary atonement. Okay, it's kind of a big word, but a way to remember this is atonement starts with A-T-O-N-E. So what does atonement do for us? It brings us into a relationship with God that we are at one with him. That's what, that's what God did for us by his grace. And the really stupendous thing is that Jesus is not only the gift for us, he's also the giver. He gave his life. He's the high priest, and he's also the sacrifice. In Romans, Paul wrote that God is the just and the justifier, right? He is the offerer. That's hard to say, offerer. But he's also the offering for us. It's amazing. This salvation that we have is a free gift from God, and there's nothing that we do to gain God's grace. There is nothing here about our works. We were dead. Jesus gave himself for our sins. I'm going to read to you Ephesians 2, where Paul talks about this grace more. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's Jesus. It's his work. This is talking about he gave himself. This is his work on the cross for our behalf because of his great love for us. And it's voluntary. His work was voluntary. He did it of his own accord. In Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I lived by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we see that word again, gave himself, and we see God's love for us. You might remember that, that Jesus said in Mark 10 that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, right, as a ransom for many. And of course, Pastor Jason has been helping us to ask the question, I wonder what Isaiah would say about this. Well, Isaiah has something to say about this as well. And you might know that in Isaiah 53, one of the most famous passages about Jesus is that he is, he came on our behalf to die in our place. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah wrote, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. But he was pierced for, again, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And so that, that brings us to peace. Okay, so we're going to talk about peace next right here. Okay, 
When you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive salvation and peace with God. Romans 5.1 is one of the passages that tells us what a wonderful thing we have when God gives us his peace. So grace leads to peace. Where does this peace come from? Also from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, clearly, right? So our peace with God is accomplished by Jesus, who Paul calls here our deliverer. He gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We are dead, right? We are lost. We need a deliverer. And what can we do about it? Nothing. There's nothing we can do. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus is our rescuer. He's not just a good example. He's not just a model for us or a teacher of good things. He saves us by his grace. And what is the origin of that? We see this here in verse 4. It's the cross. Jesus accomplishes that for us on the cross. And his death on the cross was not an accident. It was not a tragedy that God used for good. The cross was part of God's plan from all eternity. In Acts 2, we read, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, here we have Jesus who delivered himself up, but in order to deliver us, right? Does this word deliverance remind you of an Old Testament story? Yeah, in the Exodus, right, in the Passover, when God delivered the people of Israel. And do you remember what happened shortly after their deliverance when they were in the wilderness? Even as Moses was talking to God, the people decided that they would worship a gold calf, right? They complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. You want to ask, well, why, right? When God has freed us, why would we turn our backs on them? Why would we want to go back to the present evil age? Well, we're going to see in next, week pa- next week's passage that that's exactly what Paul says happens in verse 6. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. The people were forgetting the true gospel. And so I'm going to stop for a second here, and we're going to ask, So what is the gospel? If I share my story of faith with my neighbor, like we've been encouraged to do in our befriending initiative here at the North Campus, and I say to my neighbor, Jesus changed my life. I'm telling a wonderful thing about Jesus. I'm telling a wonderful thing about what he did for me. And I'm opening a door to share the gospel. But because the gospel isn't all about me, I haven't really shared the good news of the gospel. The gospel is about what Jesus did to bring us into a saving relationship with him. And we start by telling the bad news first, right? That we were dead, we're lost, we're separated from God by our sin. And then we go to the Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience to Father, to the Father, and he died in our place, right? He died for our sins to make us right with God, to, uh, to atone for our sins. Another theological word is propitiation that's used, and that means that, that Jesus bore the wrath that we deserved. 
Jesus then was also, he was raised from the dead. We saw that earlier in verse 1 when Paul talks about the fact that God raised him from the dead. Jesus is our deliverer. God makes us alive. And in the words of this great hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. His blood on the cross. We go to the cross. And Paul continues then in verse 4 and 5. He says, this is all according to the will of our God and Father. It's not about us. It's not about our will in salvation. It's about God's will. And it's all for God's glory. So false teachers had come into the churches of Galatia to distort the gospel. They were twisting the truth of God's grace to make it say what it was never meant to say. I want you to think with me about the ways that that can happen. Think about um, the gospel as a line like this. We could share the gospel or preach a gospel that would go below the line, right? Um, you'd go below the line, you'd say some things about Jesus, maybe you'd get up to the line you know, occasionally, but you're down here below the line. You don't proclaim all that the gospel is. You're distorting the gospel. Think of the book of James where the people were trying to take away from the gospel and cheapen it by downplaying obedience to Jesus. They were trying to cheapen grace. But you could also go above the line. You could, um, you could start adding to the truth. You could say, yeah, the gospel is good, but you need to, uh, you need to add this and that. Um, maybe you say, well, faith is fine. Jesus is good. The cross works. The blood helps, but it's really not good enough to cover your sin, to be right with God you have to check off a few things, uh, like maybe uh, going to Sabbath worship, or be circumcised, or be baptized, or not eating the right things. Can you see how things can be added to the gospel? And that was what the Galatian church was facing, was, was that they were trying to add something to what Jesus had already done. So I would ask, do we know the truth of the gospel? And I'm praying that as we study Galatians this year, it will become more and more clear to us. Do we really believe that it's only God's grace that saves us? Do we believe that God loves us and rescues us? Do we remember that we do nothing to contribute to our salvation? This is humbling, and it's kind of hard to accept. But Paul says here that this deliverance is not of our will. It's according to the will of God, our our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Salvation is from A to Z, all of God. It's his calling. It's his plan. It's his action. It's his work, his deliverance, his rescue. So God gets the glory. Paul's grace-filled greeting introduced the gospel to us, and it is from God, and it is for God's glory. So in closing here, after unpacking the glorious gospel of grace and peace through Jesus, which doesn't contain a single word about anything that we do, Paul bursts into a song here. This is like a doxology, and he does this in some of his other letters, and it's usually at the end of a section where he's unpacking great theological truths, like in Romans 11 or Ephesians 3. But here, it's a little unusual because he breaks into this doxology at the end of his greeting. But why not, right? After telling us of our glorious, gracious rescuer, all the glory goes to God 
And that glory is not shared with us. Paul's gospel, the true gospel, is that it's centered on his grace. It's through Jesus, his death, his resurrection, nothing else. It's not based on Moses. It's not based on the law. And this true gospel brings true peace and true freedom. We have a bookend in Galatians 6, 14, which says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What is our response to Paul's grace-filled greeting and to the gospel? Maybe this is familiar to you, but as you think about who God is and all he's done for us in Jesus, we should be moved to thanksgiving and praise. It's not enough to just nod our heads in agreement. We should join Paul here in saying, Amen, falling on our knees in worship for all that God has done for us in his grace. And let's beware the tendency to think that because we've been saved by grace, we don't need to also live by grace. The gospel is something we need to live and breathe every day. So when Paul refers to grace in Galatians, it's not just his unmerited favor in saving us, but it's his ongoing transforming power, making us into his image. Galatians was written for people like us. We're all needy, we're all broken, and this humbles us more than we could have imagined. But Jesus saves us. Jesus delivers us. He pours out his grace and his peace on us. And he calls us to walk and to live as those who have truly died with Christ. And this raises us higher than we could have imagined. And perhaps this good news of the gospel is, is falling on you for the first time today. You can't earn God's grace. There is no good works that can put you in better standing with God. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can rescue you. He is the one that takes dead people and makes them alive, and he raises us to new life in him. It's a free gift of God's grace. And so, if you have questions today, talk with a friend who maybe brought you this morning, talk with your discussion leader, or I'll be here after class, and I would love to pray with you and talk with you more. As we sang earlier, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Paul's grace-filled greeting is preaching the gospel of grace to you, to me, to all of us. And as Pastor Stephen said on Sunday, the gospel is gloriously leveling. He said, I know the very worst thing about each and every single one of you. Didn't you feel your heart kind of pound when he said that? <laughs> we are sinners against God. and We are so wicked, estranged, and corrupt that it took Jesus' blood to rescue us from our sin. And the greatest thing about us is that Jesus washes us clean, takes away our shame and our guilt. He cancels our record of debt and calls us his beloved children who possess the righteousness of Christ. Our study of Galatians can't be about accumulating academic knowledge of biblical history or theology. I'm praying that you fall just more deeply in love with Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you, that you would enjoy the grace of God, this grace that has redeemed us and delivered us. So would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your grace. 
I thank you for grace and peace that came from Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. Thank you for grace that will pardon us and cleanse within. Thank you for your grace that is greater than all of our sin. May you receive the glory forever and ever. Amen.